0: THE OVER-SOUL From Essays, First Series, by Ralph Waldo Emerson This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Neufeld But souls that of his own good life partake, He loves as his own self. Dear as his eye they are to him, He'll never them forsake. When they shall die, then God himself shall die. They live, they live in blessed eternity henry moore space is ample east and west but two cannot go abreast cannot travel in it too yonder masterful cuckoo crowds every egg out of the nest quick or dead except its own a spell has laid on sod and stone night and day have been tampered with every quality and pith surcharged and sultry with a power that works its will on age and hour There is a difference between one and another hour of life in their authority and subsequent effect. Our faith comes in moments, our vice is habitual. Yet there is a depth in those brief moments which constrains us to ascribe more reality to them than to all other experiences. For this reason, the argument which is always forthcoming to silence those who conceive extraordinary hopes of man, namely the appeal to experience, IS FOREVER INVALID AND VAIN. HE MUST EXPLAIN THIS HOPE. WE GRANT THAT HUMAN LIFE IS MEAN, BUT HOW DID WE FIND OUT THAT IT WAS MEAN? WHAT IS THE GROUND OF THIS UNEASINESS OF OURS, OF THIS ODD DISCONTENT? WHAT IS THE UNIVERSAL SENSE OF WANT AND IGNORANCE, BUT THE FINE INNUENDO BY WHICH THE SOUL MAKES ITS ENORMOUS CLAIM? Why do men feel that the natural history of man has never been written, but he is always leaving behind what you have said of him, and it becomes old and books of metaphysics worthless? The philosophy of six thousand years has not searched the chambers and magazines of the soul. In its experiments, there has always retained, in the last analysis, a residuum it could not resolve. Man is a stream whose source is hidden our being is descending into us from we know not whence the most exact calculator has no prescience that somewhat incalculable may not balk the very next moment i am constrained every moment to acknowledge a higher origin for events than the will i call mine as with events so it is with thoughts when i watch that flowing river which out of the regions i see not pours for a season it streams into me i see that i am a pensioner not a cause but a surprised spectator of this ethereal water that i desire and look up and put myself in the attitude of reception but from some alien energy the visions come The supreme critic on the errors of the past and the present, and the only prophet of that which must be, is that great nature in which we rest as the earth lies in the soft arms of the atmosphere, that unity, that over-soul, within which every man's particular being is contained and made one with all other, that common heart of which all sincere conversation is the worship, to which all right action is submission that overpowering reality which confutes our tricks and talents and contains every one to pass for what he is and to speak from his character and not from his tongue and which evermore tends to pass into our thought and hand and become wisdom and virtue and power and beauty we live in succession in division in parts in particles meantime within man is the soul of the whole the wise silence, the universal beauty to which every part and particle is equally related, the eternal one. And this deep power in which we exist and whose beatitude is all accessible to us is not only self sufficing and perfect in every hour, but the act of seeing and the thing seen, the seer and the spectacle, the subject and the object are one. We see the world piece by piece as the sun the moon the animal the tree but the whole of which these are the shining parts is the soul only by the vision of that wisdom can the horoscope of the ages be read and by falling back on our better thoughts by yielding to the spirit of prophecy which is innate in every one we can know what it saith every man's words who speaks from that life must sound vain to those who do not dwell in the same thought on their own part i dare not speak for it my words do not carry its august sense they fall short and cold only itself can inspire whom it will and behold their speech shall be lyrical and sweet and universal as the rising of the wind yet i desire even by profane words if i may not use sacred to indicate the heaven of this deity and to report what hints i have collected of the transcendent simplicity and energy of the highest law if we consider what happens in conversation in reveries in remorse in times of passion in surprises in the instructions of dreams wherein often we see ourselves in masquerade the droll disguises only magnifying and enhancing a real element and forcing it on our distinct notice we shall catch many hints that will broaden and lighten into knowledge of the secret of nature all goes to show that the soul in man is not an organ but animates and exercises all the organs is not a function like the power of memory of calculation of comparison but uses these as hands and feet IT IS NOT A FACULTY, BUT A LIGHT, IT IS NOT THE INTELLECT OR THE WILL, BUT THE MASTER OF THE INTELLECT AND THE WILL, IT IS THE BACKGROUND OF OUR BEING IN WHICH THEY LIE, AN IMMENSITY NOT POSSESSED, AND THAT CANNOT BE POSSESSED. FROM WITHIN OR BEHIND, A LIGHT SHINES THROUGH US UPON THINGS, AND MAKES US AWARE THAT WE ARE NOTHING, BUT THE LIGHT IS ALL. A MAN IS A FACADE OF A TEMPLE WHEREIN ALL WISDOM AND ALL GOOD ABIDE. WHAT WE COMMONLY CALL MAN, THE EATING, DRINKING, PLANTING, COUNTING MAN, DOES NOT, AS WE KNOW HIM, REPRESENT HIMSELF, BUT MISREPRESENTS HIMSELF. HIM WE DO NOT RESPECT, BUT THE SOUL, WHOSE ORGAN HE IS, WOULD HE LET IT APPEAR THROUGH HIS ACTION, WOULD MAKE OUR KNEES BEND. When it breathes through his intellect, it is genius. When it breathes through his will, it is virtue. When it flows through his affection, it is love. And the blindness of the intellect begins when it would be something of itself. The weakness of the will begins when the individual would be something of himself. All reform aims in some one particular to let the soul have its way through us. In other words, to engage us to obey. Of this pure nature every man is at some time sensible. Language cannot paint it with his colors, it is too subtle, it is undefinable, unmeasurable. But we know that it pervades and contains us, we know that all spiritual being is in man. A wise old proverb says, God comes to see us without bell. That is, as there is no screen or seedling between our heads and in the infinite heavens, so there is no bar or wall in the soul where man, the effect, ceases, and God, the cause, begins. The walls are taken away. We lie open on one side to the deeps of spiritual nature, to the attributes of God. Justice we see and know, love, freedom, power. These natures no man ever got above, but they tower over us, and most in the moment when our interests tempt us to wound them. The sovereignty of this nature whereof we speak is made known by its independency of these limitations which circumscribe us on every hand. The soul circumscribes all things. As I have said, it contradicts all experience. In like manner it abolishes time and space. THE INFLUENCE OF THE SENSES HAS IN MOST MEN OVERPOWERED THE MIND TO THAT DEGREE THAT THE WALLS OF TIME AND SPACE HAVE COME TO LOOK REAL AND INSURMOUNTABLE, AND TO SPEAK WITH LEVITY OF THESE LIMITS IS, IN THE WORLD, THE SIGN OF INSANITY. YET TIME AND SPACE ARE BUT INVERSE MEASURES OF THE FORCE OF THE SOUL. THE SPIRIT SPORTS WITH TIME, CAN CROWD ETERNITY INTO AN HOUR, OR STRETCH AN HOUR TO ETERNITY. We are often made to feel that there is another youth and age than that which is measured from the year of our natural birth. Some thoughts always find us young and keep us so. Such a thought is the love of the universal and eternal beauty. Every man parts from that contemplation with the feeling that it rather belongs to ages than to mortal life. The least activity of the intellectual powers redeems us in a degree from the conditions of time in sickness in languor give us a strain of poetry or a profound sentence and we are refreshed or produce a volume of plato or shakespeare or remind us of their names and instantly we come into a feeling of longevity see how the deep divine thought reduces centuries and millenniums and makes itself present through all the ages is the teaching of christ less effective now than it was when first his mouth was opened the emphasis of facts and persons in my thought has nothing to do with time and so always the soul's scale is one the scale of the senses and the understanding is another before the revelations of the soul time space and nature shrink away in common speech we refer all things to time as we habitually refer the immensely sundered stars to one concave sphere and so we say that the judgment is distant or near that the millennium approaches that a day of certain political moral social reforms is at hand and the like when we mean that in the nature of things one of the facts we contemplate is external and fugitive and the other is permanent and connate with the soul the things we now esteem fixed shall, one by one, detach themselves like ripe fruit from our experience and fall. The wind shall blow them none knows whither. The landscape, the figures, Boston, London, are facts as fugitive as any institution past, or any whiff of mist or smoke, and so is society, and so is the world. The soul looketh steadily forwards, creating a world before her, leaving worlds behind her, she has no dates nor rights nor persons nor specialties nor men the soul knows only the soul the web of events is the flowing robe in which she is clothed after its own law and not by arithmetic is the rate of its progress to be computed the soul's advances are not made by graduation such as can be represented by motion in a straight line but rather by ascension of state such as can be represented by metamorphosis from the egg to the worm from the worm to the fly the growths of genius are of a certain total character that does not advance the elect individual first over john then adam then richard and then give to each the pain of discovered inferiority but by every throw of growth the man expands there where he works passing at each pulsation classes populations of men with each divine impulse the mind rends the thin rinds of the visible and finite and comes out into eternity and inspires and expires its air it converses with truths that have always been spoken in the world and becomes conscious of a closer sympathy with zeno and arian than with persons in the house this is the law of moral and of mental gain the simple rise as by specific levity not into a particular virtue but into the region of all the virtues they are in the spirit which contains them all the soul requires purity but purity is not it, requires justice, but justice is not that, requires beneficence, but is somewhat better, so that there is a kind of dissent and accommodation felt when we leave speaking of moral nature to urge a virtue which it enjoins. To the well-born child all the virtues are natural and not painfully acquired. Speak to his heart, and the man becomes suddenly virtuous. Within the same sentiment is the germ of intellectual growth, which obeys the same law. Those who are capable of humility, of justice, of love, of aspiration, stand already on a platform that commands the sciences and arts, speech and poetry, action and grace. For whoso dwells in this moral beatitude already anticipates those special powers which men prize so highly the lover has no talent no skill which passes for quite nothing with his enamoured maiden however little she may possess of related faculty and the heart which abandons itself to the supreme mind finds itself related to all its works and will travel a royal road to particular knowledges and powers in ascending to this primary and aboriginal settlement we have come from our remote station on the circumference instantaneously to the centre of the world Whereas in the closet of god we see causes and anticipate the universe which is but a slow effect one mode of the divine teaching is the incarnation of the spirit in a form in forms like my own i live in society with persons who answer to thoughts in my own mind or express a certain obedience to the great instincts to which i live i see its presence to them I AM CERTIFIED OF A COMMON NATURE, AND THESE OTHER SOULS, THESE SEPARATED SELVES, DRAW ME AS NOTHING ELSE CAN. THEY STIR IN ME THE NEW EMOTIONS WE CALL PASSION, OF LOVE, HATRED, FEAR, ADMIRATION, PITY. THENCE COME CONVERSATION, COMPETITION, PERSUASION, CITIES, AND WAR. PERSONS ARE SUPPLEMENTARY TO THE PRIMARY TEACHING OF THE SOUL. In youth we are mad for persons, childhood and youth see all the world in them, but the larger experience of man discovers the identical nature appearing through them all. Persons themselves acquaint us with the impersonal. In all conversation between two persons tacit reference is made, as to a third party, to a common nature. That third party or common nature is not social, it is impersonal, is God and so in groups where debate is earnest and especially on high questions the company become aware that the thought rises to an equal level in all bosoms that all have a spiritual property in what was said as well as the sayer they all become wiser than they were it arches over them like a temple this unity of thought in which every heart beats with nobler sense of power and duty and thinks and acts with unusual solemnity all are conscious of attaining a higher self-possession it shines for all there is a certain wisdom of humanity which is common to the greatest men with the lowest and which our ordinary education often labors to silence and obstruct the mind is one and the best minds who love truth for its own sake think much less of property in truth they accept it thankfully everywhere and do not label or stamp it with any man's name for it is theirs long beforehand and from eternity the learned and studious of thought have no monopoly of wisdom their violence of direction in some degree disqualifies them to think truly we owe many valuable observations to people who are not very acute or profound and who say the thing without effort which we want and have long been hunting in vain. The action of the soul is oftener in that which is felt and left unsaid than in that which is said in any conversation. It broods over every society, and they unconsciously seek for it in each other. We know better than we do. We do not yet possess ourselves, and we know at the same time that we are much more. I feel the same truth how often in my trivial conversation with my neighbors, that somewhat higher in each of us overlooks this by-play, and Jove nods to Jove from behind each of us. Men descend to meet. In their habitual and mean service to the world, for which they forsake their native nobleness, they resemble those Arabian sheikhs who dwell in mean houses and affect an external poverty to escape the rapacity of the Pacha and reserve all their display of wealth for the interior and guarded retirements as it is present in all persons so it is in every period of life it is adult already in the infant man in my dealing with my child my latin and greek my accomplishments and my money stead me nothing but as much soul as i have avails if i am willful he sets his will against mine one for one and leaves me if i please the degradation of beating him by my superiority of strength but if i renounce my will and act for the soul setting that up as umpire between us two out of his young eyes looks the same soul he reveres and loves with me the soul is the perceiver and revealer of truth we know truth when we see it let sceptic and scoffer say what they choose foolish people ask you when you have spoken what they do not wish to hear how do you know it is truth and not an error of your own we know truth when we see it from opinion as we know when we are awake that we are awake it was a grand sentence of emmanuel swedenborg which would alone indicate the greatness of that man's perception it is no proof of a man's understanding to be able to confirm whatever he pleases but to be able to discern that what is true is true and that what is false is false this is the mark and character of intelligence in the book i read the good thought returns to me as every truth will the image of the whole soul to the bad thought which i find in it the same soul becomes a discerning separating sword and lops it away we are wiser than we know if we will not interfere with our thoughts but act entirely or see how the thing stands in god we know the particular thing and everything and every man for the maker of all things and all persons stands behind us and casts his dread omniscience through us over things but beyond this recognition of its own in particular passages of the individual's experience It also reveals truth. And here we should seek to reinforce ourselves by its very presence, and to speak with a worthier, loftier strain of that advent. For the soul's communication of truth is the highest event in nature, since it does not give something from itself, but it gives itself, or passes into and becomes that man whom it enlightens, or, in proportion to that truth he receives, it takes him to himself we distinguish the announcements of the soul its manifestations of its own nature by the term revelation these are always attended by the emotion of the sublime for this communication is an influx of the divine mind into our mind it is an ebb of the individual rivulet before the flowing surges of the sea of life every distinct apprehension of this central commandment agitates men with awe and delight A thrill passes through all men at the reception of new truth, or at the performance of a great action which comes out of the heart of nature. In these communications the power to see is not separated from the will to do, but the insight proceeds from obedience, and the obedience proceeds from a joyful perception. Every moment when the individual feels himself invaded by it is memorable. By the necessity of our constitution, a certain enthusiasm attends the individual's consciousness of that divine presence. The character and duration of this enthusiasm varies with the state of the individual, from an ecstasy and trance and prophetic inspiration, which is its rarer appearance, to the faintest glow of virtuous emotion, in which form it warms, like our household fires, all the families and associations of men and makes society possible a certain tendency to insanity has always attended the opening of the religious sense in men as if they had been blasted with excess of light the trances of socrates the union of plotinus the vision of porphyry the conversion of paul the aurora of Bayman, the convulsions of george fox and his quakers the illumination of swedenborg are of this kind what was in the case of these remarkable persons a ravishment has in innumerable instances in common life been exhibited in less striking manner everywhere the history of religion betrays a tendency to enthusiasm the rapture of the moravian and quietist the opening of the internal sense of the word in the language of the new jerusalem church the revival of the calvinist churches The experiences of the Methodists are varying forms of that shudder of awe and delight with which the individual soul always mingles with the universal soul. The nature of these revelations is the same. They are perceptions of the absolute law. They are solutions of the soul's own questions. They do not answer the question which the understanding asks. THE SOUL ANSWERS NEVER BY WORDS, BUT BY THE THING ITSELF THAT IS inquired AFTER. REVELATION IS THE DISCLOSURE OF THE SOUL. THE POPULAR NOTION OF A REVELATION IS THAT IT IS A TELLING OF FORTUNES. IN PAST ORACLES OF THE SOUL THE UNDERSTANDING SEEKS TO FIND ANSWERS TO SENSUAL QUESTIONS, AND UNDERTAKES TO TELL FROM GOD HOW LONG MAN SHALL EXIST, WHAT THEIR HANDS SHALL DO, AND WHO SHALL BE THEIR COMPANY, ADDING NAMES AND DATES AND PLACES but we must pick no locks. We must check this low curiosity. An answer in words is delusive. It is really no answer to the questions you ask. Do not require a description of the countries towards which you sail. The description does not describe them to you, and to-morrow you arrive there and know them by inhabiting them. Men ask concerning the immortality of the soul, the employments of heaven, the state of the sinner, and so forth. They even dream that Jesus has left replies to precisely those interrogatories. Never a moment did that sublime spirit speak in their patois. To truth, justice, love, the attributes of the soul, the idea of immutableness is essentially associated. JESUS, LIVING IN THESE MORAL SENTIMENTS, HEEDLESS OF SENSUAL FORTUNES, HEEDING ONLY THE MANIFESTATIONS OF THESE, NEVER MADE THE SEPARATION OF THE IDEAS OF DURATION FROM THE ESSENCE OF THESE ATTRIBUTES, NOR UTTERED A SYLLABLE CONCERNING THE DURATION OF THE SOUL. IT IS LEFT TO HIS DISCIPLES TO SEVER DURATION FROM THE MORAL ELEMENTS, AND TO TEACH THE IMMORTALITY OF THE SOUL AS A DOCTRINE, AND MAINTAIN IT BY EVIDENCES. THE MOMENT THE DOCTRINE OF THE IMMORTALITY IS SEPARATELY TAUGHT, MAN IS ALREADY FALLEN. IN THE FLOWING OF LOVE, THE ADORATION OF HUMILITY, THERE IS NO QUESTION OF CONTINUANCE. NO INSPIRED MAN EVER ASKS THIS QUESTION OR condescends TO THESE EVIDENCES, FOR THE SOUL IS TRUE TO ITSELF, AND THE MAN IN WHOM IT IS SHED ABROAD CANNOT WANDER FROM THE PRESENT, WHICH IS INFINITE, TO A FUTURE WHICH WOULD BE FINITE these questions which we lust to ask about the future are a confession of sin god has no answer for them no answer in words can reply to a question of things it is not in an arbitrary decree of god but in the nature of man that a veil shuts down on the facts of tomorrow. for the soul will not have us read any other cipher than that of cause and effect by this veil which curtains events it instructs the children of men to live in to-day the only mode of obtaining an answer to these questions of the senses is to forego all low curiosity and accepting the tide of being which floats us into the secret of nature work and live work and live and all unawares the advancing soul has built and forged for itself a new condition and the question and the answer are one. By the same fire, vital, consecrating, celestial, which burns until it shall dissolve all things into the waves and surges of an ocean of light, we see and know each other, and what spirit each is of. Who can tell the grounds of his knowledge of the character of the several individuals in his circle of friends? No man, yet their acts and words do not disappoint him in that man though he knew no ill of him he put no trust in that other though they had seldom met authentic signs had yet passed to signify that he might be trusted as one who had an interest in his own character we know each other very well which of us has been just to himself and whether that which we teach or behold is only an aspiration or is our honest effort also We are all discerners of spirits. That diagnosis lies aloft in our life or unconscious power. The intercourse of society, its trade, its religion, its friendships, its quarrels, is one wide judicial investigation of character. In full courts, or in small committee, or confronted face to face, accuser and accused, men offer themselves to be judged. Against their will they exhibit those decisive trifles by which character is read. But who judges, and what? Not our understanding. We do not read them by learning or craft. No, the wisdom of the wise man consists herein, that he does not judge them. He lets them judge themselves, and merely reads and records their own verdict. By virtue of this inevitable nature... Private will is overpowered, and maugre our efforts or our imperfections. Your genius will speak from you, and mine from me. That which we are we shall teach, not voluntarily, but involuntarily. Thoughts come into our minds by avenues which we never left open, and thoughts go out of our minds through avenues which we never voluntarily opened. Character teaches over our head. The infallible index of true progress is found in the tone the man takes, neither his age, nor his breeding, nor company, nor books, nor actions, nor talents, nor altogether can hinder him from being deferential to a higher spirit than his own. If he have not found his home in God, his manners, his forms of speech, the turn of his sentences, the build, shall I say, of all his opinions will involuntarily confess it, let him brave it out how he will. If he have found his centre, the Deity will shine through him, through all the disguises of ignorance, of ungenial temperament, of unfavourable circumstance. The tone of seeking is one, and the tone of having is another. The great distinction between teachers sacred and literary, between poets like Herbert and poets like Pope, between philosophers like spinoza kant and coleridge and philosophers like locke paley mackintosh and stuart between men of the world who are reckoned accomplished talkers and here or there a fervent mystic prophesying half insane under the infinitude of his thought is that one class speak from within or from experience as parties and possessors of the fact and the other class from without, as spectators merely, or perhaps as acquainted with the fact on the evidence of third persons. It is of no use to preach to me from without. I can do that too easily myself. Jesus speaks always from within, and in a degree that transcends all others. In that is the miracle. I believe beforehand that it ought so to be, All men stand continually in the expectation of the appearance of such a teacher, but if a man do speak from within the veil, where the word is one with that it tells of, let him lowly confess it. The same omniscience flows into the intellect, and makes what we call genius. Much of the wisdom of the world is not wisdom, and the most illuminated class of men are no doubt superior to literary fame, and are not writers. Among the multitude of scholars and authors we feel no hallowing presence. We are sensible of a knack and skill rather than of inspiration. They have a light, and know not whence it comes and call it their own. Their talent is some exaggerated faculty, some overgrown member, so that their strength is a disease. In these instances the intellectual gifts do not make the impression of virtue, but almost of vice. AND WE FEEL THAT A MAN'S TALENTS STAND IN THE WAY OF HIS ADVANCEMENT IN TRUTH. BUT GENIUS IS RELIGIOUS. IT IS A LARGER IMBIBING OF THE COMMON HEART. IT IS NOT ANOMALOUS, BUT MORE LIKE AND NOT LESS LIKE OTHER MEN. THERE IS IN ALL GREAT POETS A WISDOM OF HUMANITY WHICH IS SUPERIOR TO ANY TALENTS THEY EXERCISE. THE AUTHOR, THE WIT, THE PARTISAN, THE FINE GENTLEMAN DOES NOT TAKE PLACE OF THE MAN humanity shines in homer in chaucer in spencer in shakespeare in milton they are content with truth they use the positive degree they seem frigid and phlegmatic to those who have been spiced with the frantic passion and violent coloring of inferior but popular writers for they are poets by the free course which they allow to the informing soul which through their eyes beholds again and blesses the things which it hath made the soul is superior to its knowledge wiser than any of its works the great poet makes us feel our own wealth and then we think less of his compositions his best communication to our mind is to teach us to despise all he has done Shakespeare carries us to such a lofty strain of intelligent activity as to suggest a wealth which beggars his own, and we then feel that the splendid works which he has created, and which in other hours we extol as a sort of self-existent poetry, take no stronger hold of real nature than the shadow of a passing traveller on the rock. The inspiration which uttered itself in Hamlet and Lear could utter things as good from day to day for ever. Why then should I make account of Hamlet and Lear, as if we had not the soul for which they fell as syllables from the tongue? The energy does not descend into individual life on any other condition than entire possession. It comes to the lowly and simple. It comes to whomsoever will put off what is foreign and proud. It comes as insight. It comes as serenity and grandeur when we see those whom it inhabits we are apprised of new degrees of greatness from that inspiration the man comes back with a changed tone he does not talk with men with an eye to their opinion he tries them it requires of us to be plain and true the vain traveller attempts to embellish his life by quoting my lord and the prince and the countess who thus said or did to him the ambitious, vulgar show you their spoons and brooches and rings and preserve their cards and compliments. The more cultivated, in their account of their own experience, call out the pleasing, poetic circumstance: the visit to Rome, the man of genius they saw, the brilliant friend they know. Still further on, perhaps the gorgeous landscape, the mountain lights, the mountain thoughts they enjoyed yesterday, and so seek to throw a romantic color over their life. But the soul that ascends to worship the great God is plain and true, has no rose color, no fine friends, no chivalry, no adventures, does not want admiration, dwells in the hour that now is, in the earnest experience of the common day, by reason of the present moment and the mere trifle having become porous to thought and bibulous of the sea of light. Converse with a mind that is grandly simple and literature looks like word-catching the simplest utterances are worthiest to be written yet they are so cheap and so things of course that in the infinite riches of the soul it is like gathering a few pebbles off the ground or bottling a little air in a phial when the whole earth and the whole atmosphere are ours nothing can pass there or make you one of the circle But the casting aside your trappings and dealing man to man in naked truth, plain confession, and omniscient affirmation. Souls such as these treat you as gods would, walk as gods in the earth, accepting without any admiration your wit, your bounty, your virtue even, say rather your act of duty, for your virtue they own as their proper blood, royal as themselves and over royal, and the father of the gods but what rebuke their plain fraternal bearing casts on the mutual flattery with which authors solace each other and wound themselves? These flatter not. I do not wonder that these men go to see Cromwell and Christina and Charles the Second and James I and the Grand Turk, for they are in their own elevation the fellows of kings, and must feel the servile tone of conversation in the world. They must always be a godsend to princes, for they confront them, a king to a king, without ducking or concession, and give a high nature the refreshment and satisfaction of resistance, of plain humanity, of even companionship, and of new ideas. They leave them wiser and superior men. Souls like these make us feel that sincerity is more excellent than flattery. Deal so plainly with man and woman as to constrain the utmost sincerity and destroy all hope of trifling with you. It is the highest compliment you can pay. Their highest praising, said Milton, is not flattery, and their plainest advice is a kind of praising. Ineffable is the union of man and God in every act of the soul. The simplest person who in his integrity worships God becomes God yet forever and ever the influx of this better and universal self is new and unsearchable it inspires awe and astonishment how dear how soothing to man arises the idea of god peopling the lonely place effacing the scars of our mistakes and disappointments when we have broken our god of tradition and ceased from our god of rhetoric then may god fire the heart with his presence it is the doubling of the heart itself nay the infinite enlargement of the heart with a power of growth to a new infinity on every side it inspires in man an infallible trust he has not the conviction but the sight that the best is the true and may in that thought easily dismiss all particular uncertainties and fears and adjoin to the sure revelation of time the solution of his private riddles He is sure that his welfare is dear to the heart of being. In the presence of law to his mind, he is overflowed with a reliance so universal that it sweeps away all cherished hopes and the most stable projects of mortal condition in its flood. He believes that he cannot escape from his good. The things that are really for thee gravitate to thee. You are running to seek your friend. Let your feet run but your mind need not. If you do not find him, will you not acquiesce that it is best you should not find him? For there is a power which, as it is in you, is in him also, and could therefore very well bring you together, if it were for the best. You are preparing with eagerness to go and render a service to which your talent and your taste invite you, the love of men and the hope of fame. HAS IT NOT OCCURRED TO YOU THAT YOU HAVE NO RIGHT TO GO UNLESS YOU ARE EQUALLY WILLING TO BE PREVENTED FROM GOING? Oh, BELIEVE, AS THOU LIVEST, THAT EVERY SOUND THAT IS SPOKEN OVER THE ROUND WORLD WHICH THOU OUGHTEST TO HEAR, WILL VIBRATE ON THINE EAR. EVERY PROVERB, EVERY BOOK, EVERY BYWORD THAT BELONGS TO THEE FOR AID OR COMFORT, SHALL SURELY COME HOME THROUGH OPEN OR WINDING PASSAGES every friend whom not thy fantastic will but the great and tender heart in thee craveth shall lock thee in his embrace and this because the heart in thee is the heart of all not a valve not a wall not an intersection is there anywhere in nature but one blood rolls uninterruptedly an endless circulation through all men as the water of the globe is all one sea, and, truly seen, its tide is one. Let man then learn the revelation of all nature and all thought to his heart, this namely, that the highest dwells with him, that the sources of nature are in his own mind, if the sentiment of duty is there. But if he would know what the great God speaketh, he must go into his closet and shut the door, as Jesus said. God will not make himself manifest to cowards. He must greatly listen to himself, withdrawing himself from all the accents of other men's devotion. Even your prayers are hurtful to him until he have made his own. Our religion vulgarly stands on numbers of believers. Whenever the appeal is made, no matter how indirectly, to numbers, proclamation is then and there made that religion is not. He that finds God a sweet enveloping thought to him never counts his company. When I sit in that presence, who shall dare to come in? When I rest in perfect humility, when I burn with pure love, what can Calvin or Swedenborg say? It makes no difference whether the appeal is to numbers or to one. The faith that stands on authority is not faith. The reliance on authority measures the decline of religion, the withdrawal of the soul. The position men have given to Jesus, now for many centuries of history, is a position of authority. It characterizes themselves, it cannot alter the eternal facts. Great is the soul and plain. It is no flatterer, it is no follower, it never appeals from itself, it believes in itself. BEFORE THE IMMENSE POSSIBILITIES OF MAN, ALL MERE EXPERIENCE, ALL PAST BIOGRAPHY, HOWEVER SPOTLESS AND SAINTED, SHRINKS AWAY. BEFORE THAT HEAVEN WHICH OUR PRESENTIMENTS FORESHOW US, WE CANNOT EASILY PRAISE ANY FORM OF LIFE WE HAVE SEEN OR READ OF. WE NOT ONLY AFFIRM THAT WE HAVE FEW GREAT MEN, BUT, ABSOLUTELY SPEAKING, THAT WE HAVE NONE. THAT WE HAVE NO HISTORY, NO RECORD OF ANY CHARACTER OR MODE OF LIVING THAT ENTIRELY contents US. THE SAINTS AND DEMIGODS WHOM HISTORY WORSHIPS WE ARE CONSTRAINED TO ACCEPT WITH A GRAIN OF ALLOWANCE, THOUGH IN OUR LONELY HOURS WE DRAW A NEW STRENGTH OUT OF THEIR MEMORY, YET, PRESSED ON OUR ATTENTION, AS THEY ARE BY THE THOUGHTLESS AND CUSTOMARY, THEY FATIGUE AND INVADE, the soul gives itself alone original and pure to the lonely original and pure who on that condition gladly inhabits leads and speaks through it then it is glad young and nimble it is not wise but it sees through all things it is not called religious but it is innocent it calls the light its own and feels that the grass grows and the stone falls by the law inferior to and dependent on its nature behold it saith i am born into the great the universal mind i the imperfect adore my own perfect I am somehow receptive of the great soul, and thereby I do overlook the sun and the stars, and feel them to be the fair accidents and effects which change and pass. More and more the surges of everlasting nature enter into me, and I become public and human in my regards and actions. So come I to live in thoughts, and act with energies which are immortal thus revering the soul and learning as the ancient said that its beauty is immense man will come to see that the world is the perennial miracle which the soul worketh and be less astonished at particular wonders he will learn that there is no profane history that all history is sacred that the universe is represented in an atom in a moment of time HE WILL WEAVE NO LONGER A SPOTTED LIFE OF SHREDS AND PATCHES, BUT HE WILL LIVE WITH A DIVINE UNITY. HE WILL CEASE FROM WHAT IS BASE AND FRIVOLOUS IN HIS LIFE, AND BE CONTENT WITH ALL PLACES AND WITH ANY SERVICE HE CAN RENDER. HE WILL CALMLY FRONT THE MORROW IN THE NEGLIGENCY OF THAT TRUST WHICH CARRIES GOD WITH IT, AND SO HATH ALREADY THE WHOLE FUTURE IN THE BOTTOM OF THE HEART. End of the Oversoul. Circles from Essay's first series by Ralph Waldo Emerson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Neufeld nature centres into balls and her proud ephemerals fast to surface and outside scan the profile of the sphere knew they what that signified a new genesis were here the eye is the first circle the horizon which it forms is the second and throughout nature this primary figure is repeated without end it is the highest emblem in the cipher of the world St. Augustine described the nature of God as a circle whose center was everywhere and its circumference nowhere. We are all our lifetime reading the copious sense of this first of forms, one moral we have already deduced in considering the circular or compensatory character of every human action, another analogy we shall now trace, that every action admits of being outdone our life is an apprenticeship to the truth that around every circle another can be drawn that there is no end in nature but every end is a beginning and that there is always another dawn risen on mid-noon and under every deep a lower deep opens the fact as far as it symbolizes the moral fact of the unattainable the flying perfect around which the hands of man can never meet at once the inspirer and the condemner of every success may conveniently serve us to connect many illustrations of human power in every department there are no fixtures in nature the universe is fluid and volatile permanence is but a word of degrees Our globe seen by God as a transparent law, not a mass of facts. The law dissolves the fact and holds it fluid. Our culture is the predominance of an idea which draws after it this train of cities and institutions. Let us rise into another idea. They will disappear. The Greek sculpture is all melted away, as if it had been statues of ice. Here and there a solitary figure or fragment remaining, as we see flax and scraps of snow left in cold dells and mountain clefts in June and July. For the genius that created it creates now somewhat else. The Greek letters last a little longer, but already passing under the same sentence and tumbling into the inevitable pit which the creation of new thought opens for all that is old. The new continents are built out of the ruins of an old planet. The new races fed out of the decomposition of the foregoing. New arts destroy the old. See the investment of capital in aqueducts made useless by hydraulics, fortifications by gunpowder, roads and canals by railways, sails by steam, steam by electricity. You admire this tower of granite weathering the hurts of so many ages. Yet a little waving hand built this huge wall, and that which builds is better than that which is built. The hand that built can topple it down much faster. Better than the hand, and nimbler, was the invisible thought which wrought through it. And thus, ever, behind the coarse effect is a fine cause, which, being narrowly seen, is itself the effect of a finer cause. A rich estate appears to women a firm and lasting fact to a merchant one easily created out of any materials, and easily lost. An orchard, good tillage, good grounds seem a fixture, like a gold mine or a river to a citizen, but to a large farmer not much more fixed than the state of the crop. Nature looks provokingly stable and secular, but it has a cause like all the rest and when once i comprehend that will these fields stretch so immovably wide those leaves hang so individually considerable permanence is a word of degrees everything is medial moons are no more bounds to spiritual power than bat-balls the key to every man is his thought sturdy and defying though he look he has a helm which he obeys which is the idea after which all his facts are classified, he can only be reformed by showing him a new idea which commands his own. The life of a man is a self-evolving circle, which, from a ring imperceptibly small, rushes on all sides outwards to new and larger circles, and that without end. The extent to which this generation of circles, wheel without wheel, will go, depends on the force or truth of the individual soul, for it is the inert effort of each thought, having formed itself into a circular wave of circumstance, as for instance an empire, rules of an art, a local usage, a religious rite, to heap itself on that ridge, and to solidify and hem in the life. BUT IF THE SOUL IS QUICK AND STRONG IT BURSTS OVER THAT BOUNDARY ON ALL SIDES AND EXPANDS ANOTHER ORBIT ON THE GREAT DEEP WHICH ALSO RUNS UP INTO A HIGH WAVE WITH ATTEMPT AGAIN TO STOP AND TO BIND. BUT THE HEART REFUSES TO BE IMPRISONED. IN ITS FIRST AND NARROWEST PULSES IT ALREADY TRENDS OUTWARD WITH A VAST FORCE AND TO IMMENSE AND INNUMERABLE EXPANSIONS every ultimate fact is only the first of a new series every general law only a particular fact of some more general law presently to disclose itself there is no outside no enclosing wall no circumference to us the man finishes his story how good how final how it puts a new face on all things he fills the sky Lo. ON THE OTHER SIDE RISES ALSO A MAN, AND DRAWS A CIRCLE AROUND THE CIRCLE WE HAD JUST PRONOUNCED THE OUTLINE OF THE SPHERE. THEN ALREADY IS OUR FIRST SPEAKER NOT MAN, BUT ONLY A FIRST SPEAKER. HIS ONLY REDRESS IS FORTHWITH TO DRAW A CIRCLE OUTSIDE OF HIS ANTAGONIST, AND SO MEN DO BY THEMSELVES. THE RESULT OF TODAY, WHICH HAUNTS THE MIND AND CANNOT BE ESCAPED, will presently be abridged into a word, and the principle that seemed to explain nature will itself be included as one example of a bolder generalization. In the thought of to-morrow there is a power to upheave all thy creed, all the creeds, all the literatures of the nations, and marshal thee to a heaven which no epic dream has yet depicted. Every man is not so much a workman in the world as he is a suggestion of that he should be. Men walk as prophecies of the next age. Step by step we scale this mysterious ladder. The steps are actions, the new prospect is power. Every several result is threatened and judged by that which follows. Every one seems to be contradicted by the new, it is only limited by the new. The new statement is always hated by the old, and to those dwelling in the old comes like an abyss of scepticism. But the eye soon gets wanted to it, for the eye and it are effects of one cause, and presently, all its energy spent, it pales and dwindles before the revelation of the new hour. Fear not the new generalization. Does the fact look crass and material, threatening to degrade thy theory of spirit? Resist it not. It goes to refine and raise thy theory of matter just as much. There are no fixtures to men, if we appeal to consciousness. Every man supposes himself not to be fully understood, and if there is any truth in him, if he rests at last on the divine soul, I see not how it can be otherwise. The last chamber, the last closet, he must feel, was never opened. There is always a residuum unknown, unanalyzable. That is, every man believes that he has a greater possibility. Our moods do not believe in each other. Today I am full of thoughts and can write what I please. I see no reason why I should not have the same thought, the same power of expression, tomorrow. What I write, whilst I write it, seems the most natural thing in the world. But yesterday I saw a dreary vacuity in this direction in which now I see so much, and a month hence, I doubt not, I shall wonder who he was that wrote so many continuous pages. Alas for this infirm faith, this will not strenuous, this vast ebb of a vast flow! I am God in nature. I AM A WEED BY THE WALL. THE CONTINUAL EFFORT TO RAISE HIMSELF ABOVE HIMSELF, TO WORK A PITCH ABOVE HIS LAST HEIGHT, BETRAYS ITSELF IN A MAN'S RELATIONS. WE THIRST FOR APPROBATION, YET CANNOT FORGIVE THE APPROVER. THE SWEET OF NATURE IS LOVE, YET IF I HAVE A FRIEND I AM TORMENTED BY MY IMPERFECTIONS. THE LOVE OF ME ACCUSES THE OTHER PARTY. If he were high enough to slight me, then could I love him and rise by my affection to new heights. A man's growth is seen in the successive choirs of his friends. For every friend whom he loses for truth he gains a better. I thought as I walked in the woods and mused on my friends, why should I play with them this game of idolatry? I know and see too well, when not voluntarily blind, THE SPEEDY LIMITS OF PERSONS CALLED HIGH AND WORTHY. RICH, NOBLE, AND GREAT THEY ARE BY THE LIBERALITY OF OUR SPEECH, BUT TRUTH IS SAD. O BLESSED SPIRIT, WHOM I FORSAKE FOR THESE, THEY ARE NOT THOU. EVERY PERSONAL CONSIDERATION THAT WE ALLOW COSTS US HEAVENLY STATE. WE SELL THE THRONES OF ANGELS FOR A SHORT AND TURBULENT PLEASURE how often must we learn this lesson men cease to interest us when we find their limitations the only sin is limitation as soon as you once come up with a man's limitations it is all over with him has he talents has he enterprise has he knowledge it boots not infinitely alluring and attractive was he to you yesterday a great hope a sea to swim in NOW YOU HAVE FOUND HIS SHORES, FOUND IT A POND, AND YOU CARE NOT IF YOU NEVER SEE IT AGAIN. EACH NEW STEP WE TAKE IN THOUGHT RECONCILES TWENTY SEEMINGLY DISCORDANT FACTS, AS EXPRESSIONS OF ONE LAW. ARISTOTLE AND PLATO ARE RECKONED THE RESPECTIVE HEADS OF TWO SCHOOLS. A WISE MAN WILL SEE THAT ARISTOTLE PLATONIZES. By going one step farther back in thought, discordant opinions are reconciled by being seen to be two extremes of one principle, and we can never go so far back as to preclude a still higher vision. Beware when the great God lets loose a thinker on this planet. Then all things are at risk. It is as when a conflagration has broken out in a great city, and no one knows what is safe or where it will end. There is not a piece of science, but its flank may be turned to-morrow. There is not any literary reputation, not the so-called eternal names of fame, that may not be revised and condemned. The very hopes of man, the thoughts of his heart, the religion of nations, the manners and morals of mankind, are all at the mercy of a new generalization. Generalization is always a new influx of the divinity into the mind hence the thrill that attends it. Valor consists in the power of self-recovery, so that a man cannot have his flank turned, cannot be out but put him where you will, he stands. This can only be by his preferring truth to his past apprehension of truth, and his alert acceptance of it from whatever quarter the intrepid conviction that his laws his relations to society his christianity his world may at any time be superseded and deceased there are degrees in idealism we learn first to play with it academically as the magnet was once a toy then we see in the heyday of youth and poetry that it may be true that it is true in gleams and fragments then its countenance waxes stern and grand and we see that it must be true it now shows itself ethical and practical we learn that god is that he is in me and that all things are shadows of him The idealism of Berkeley is only a crude statement of the idealism of Jesus, and that again is a crude statement of the fact that all nature is the rapid efflux of goodness executing and organizing itself. Much more obviously is history and the state of the world at any one time directly dependent on the intellectual classification then existing in the minds of men. THE THINGS WHICH ARE DEAR TO MEN AT THIS HOUR ARE SO ON ACCOUNT OF THE IDEAS WHICH HAVE EMERGED ON THEIR MENTAL HORIZON, AND WHICH CAUSE THE PRESENT ORDER OF THINGS AS A TREE BEARS ITS APPLES. A NEW DEGREE OF CULTURE WOULD INSTANTLY REVOLUTIONIZE THE ENTIRE SYSTEM OF HUMAN PURSUITS. CONVERSATION IS A GAME OF CIRCLES in conversation we pluck up the termini which bound the common of silence on every side the parties are not to be judged by the spirit they partake and even express under this pentecost to-morrow they will have receded from this high-water mark to-morrow you shall find them stooping under the old pack-saddles yet let us enjoy the cloven flame whilst it glows on our walls WHEN EACH NEW SPEAKER STRIKES A NEW LIGHT, EMANCIPATES US FROM THE EXPRESSION OF THE LAST SPEAKER TO OPPRESS US WITH THE GREATNESS AND EXCLUSIVENESS OF HIS OWN THOUGHT, THEN YIELDS US TO ANOTHER REDEEMER, WE SEEM TO RECOVER OUR RIGHTS, TO BECOME MEN. Oh, WHAT TRUTHS, PROFOUND AND EXECUTABLE ONLY IN AGES AND ORBS, ARE SUPPOSED IN THE ANNOUNCEMENT OF EVERY TRUTH! In common hours society sits cold and statuesque. We all stand waiting, empty, knowing possibly that we can be full, surrounded by mighty symbols which are not symbols to us, but prose and trivial toys. Then cometh the God, and converts the statues into fiery men, and by a flash of his eye burns up the veil which shrouded all things, and the meaning of the very furniture, of cup and saucer, of chair and clock and tester, is manifest. The facts which loom so large in the fogs of yesterday—property, climates, breeding, personal beauty, and the like—have strangely changed their proportions. All that we reckoned settled, shakes and rattles, and literatures, cities, climates, religions, leave their foundations and dance before our eyes and yet here again see the swift circumspection. Good as is discourse, silence is better, and shames it. The length of the discourse indicates the distance of thought betwixt the speaker and the hearer. If they were at perfect understanding in any parts, no words would be necessary thereon. If at one in all parts, no words would be suffered." literature is a point outside of our hodiernal circle though through which a new one may be described the use of literature is to afford us a platform whence we may command a view of our present life a purchase by which we may move it we fill ourselves with ancient learning install ourselves the best we can in greek in punic in roman houses only that we may wiselier see french english and american houses and modes of living In like manner we see literature best from the midst of wild nature, or from the din of affairs, or from a high religion. The field cannot be well seen from within the field. The astronomer must have his diameter of the earth's orbit as a base to find the parallax of any star. Therefore we value the poet all the argument and all the wisdom is not in the encyclopedia or the treatise on metaphysics or the body of divinity but in the sonnet or the play in my daily work i incline to repeat my old steps and do not believe in remedial force in the power of change and reform but some petrarch or ariosto filled with the new wine of his imagination writes me an ode, or a brisk romance, full of daring thought and action. He smites and arouses me with his shrill tones, breaks up my whole chain of habits, and I open my eye on my own possibilities. He claps wings to the sides of all the solid old lumber of the world, and I am capable once more of choosing a straight path in theory and practice. We have the same need to command a view of the religion of the world. We can never see Christianity from the Catechism. From the pastures, from a boat in the pond, from amidst the songs of wooden birds, we possibly may. Cleansed by the elemental light and wind steeped in the sea of beautiful forms which the field offers us, we may chance to cast a right glance back upon biography." Christianity is rightly dear to the best of mankind, yet was there never a young philosopher whose breeding had fallen into the Christian church by whom the brave text of Paul's was not specially prized. Then shall also the Son be subject unto him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Let the claims and virtues of persons be never so great and welcome. The instinct of man presses eagerly onward to the impersonal and illimitable, and gladly arms itself against the dogmatism of bigots with this generous word out of the book itself. The natural world may be conceived of as a system of concentric circles, and we now and then detect in nature slight dislocations which apprise us that this surface on which we now stand is not fixed, but sliding these manifold tenacious qualities, this chemistry and vegetation, these metals and animals, which seem to stand there for their own sake, are means and methods only, are words of God, and as fugitive as other words. Has the naturalist or chemist learned his craft, who has explored the gravity of atoms and the elective affinities, who has not yet discerned the deeper law whereof this is only a partial or approximate statement, namely, that like draws to like, and that the goods which belong to you gravitate to you, and need not be pursued with pains and cost. Yet is that statement approximate also, and not final. Omnipresence is a higher fact, not through subtle subterranean channels need friend and fact be drawn to their counterpart, but rightly considered, these things proceed from the eternal generation of the soul. Cause and effect are two sides of one fact. The same law of eternal procession ranges all that we call the virtues and extinguishes each in the light of a better. The great man will not be prudent in the popular sense. All his prudence will be so much deduction from his grandeur. But it behooves each to see, when he sacrifices prudence, to what God he devotes it. If to ease and pleasure, He had better be prudent still. If it to a great trust, he can well spare his mule and panniers who has a winged chariot inside. Geoffrey draws on his boots to go through the woods, that his feet may be safer from the bite of snakes. Aaron never thinks of such a peril. In many years neither is harmed by such an accident. Yet it seems to me that with every precaution you take against such an evil, YOU PUT YOURSELVES INTO THE POWER OF THE EVIL. I SUPPOSE THAT THE HIGHEST PRUDENCE IS THE LOWEST PRUDENCE. IS THIS TOO SUDDEN A RUSHING FROM THE CENTER TO THE VERGE OF OUR ORBIT? THINK HOW MANY TIMES WE SHALL FALL BACK INTO PITIFUL CALCULATIONS BEFORE WE TAKE UP OUR REST IN THE GREAT SENTIMENT, OR MAKE THE VERGE OF TODAY THE NEW CENTER. BESIDES, YOUR BRAVEST SENTIMENT IS FAMILIAR TO THE HUMBLEST MEN. THE POOR AND THE LOW HAVE THEIR WAY OF EXPRESSING THE LAST FACTS OF PHILOSOPHY AS WELL AS YOU. BLESSED BE NOTHING, AND THE worse THINGS ARE, THE BETTER THEY ARE, ARE PROVERBS WHICH EXPRESS THE TRANSCENDENTALISM OF common LIFE. ONE MAN'S JUSTICE IS ANOTHER'S INJUSTICE, ONE MAN'S BEAUTY ANOTHER'S UGLINESS, ONE MAN'S WISDOM ANOTHER'S FOLLY, AS ONE BEHOLDS THE SAME OBJECTS FROM A HIGHER POINT, One man thinks justice consists in paying debts, and has no measure in his abhorrence of another who is very remiss in this duty, and makes the creditor wait tediously. But the second man has his own way of looking at things, asks himself which debt must I pay first, the debt to the rich or the debt to the poor, the debt of money or the debt of thought to mankind, of genius to nature. FOR YOU, O BROKER, THERE IS NO OTHER PRINCIPLE BUT ARITHMETIC. FOR ME, COMMERCE IS OF TRIVIAL IMPORT. LOVE, FAITH, TRUTH OF CHARACTER, THE ASPIRATION OF MAN, THESE ARE SACRED. NOR CAN I DETACH ONE DUTY, LIKE YOU, FROM ALL OTHER DUTIES, AND CONCENTRATE MY FORCES MECHANICALLY ON THE PAYMENT OF MONIES. LET ME LIVE ONWARD. YOU SHALL FIND THAT, THOUGH SLOWER, the progress of my character will liquidate all these debts without injustice to higher claims. If a man should dedicate himself to the payment of notes, would not this be injustice? Does he owe no debt but money? And are all claims on him to be postponed to a landlord's or a banker's? There is no virtue which is final, all are initial. The virtues of society are vices of the saint. The terror of reform is the discovery that we must cast away our virtues, or what we have always esteemed such, into the same pit that has consumed our grosser vices. Forgive his crimes, forgive his virtues too, these smaller faults half-converts to the right. It is the highest power of divine moments that they abolish our contritions also. I accuse myself of sloth and unprofitableness day by day, but when these waves of God flow into me I no longer reckon lost time, I no longer poorly compute my possible achievement by what remains to me of the month or the year, for these moments confer a sort of omnipresence and omnipotence which asks nothing of duration, but sees that the energy of the mind is commensurate with the work to be done without time and thus o circular philosopher i hear some reader exclaim you have arrived at a fine pyrrhonism at an equivalence and indifferency of all actions and would fain teach us that if we are true forsooth our crimes shall be lively stones out of which we shall construct the temple of the true god i am not careful to justify myself I own I am gladdened by seeing the predominance of the saccharine principle throughout vegetable nature, and not less by beholding in morals that unrestrained inundation of the principle of good into every chink and hole that selfishness has left open, yea, into selfishness and sin itself, so that no evil is pure, no hell itself without its extreme satisfactions but lest I should mislead any when I have my own head and obey my whims, let me remind the reader that I am only an experimenter. Do not set the least value on what I do, or the least discredit on what I do not, as if I pretended to settle anything as true or false. I unsettle all things. No facts are to me sacred, none are profane, I simply experiment, an endless seeker with no past at my back. Yet this incessant movement and progression which all things partake could never become sensible to us, but by contrast to some principle or fixture or stability in the soul. Whilst the eternal generation of circles proceeds, the eternal generator abides. That central life is somewhat superior to creation, superior to knowledge and thought, and contains all its circles. For ever it labors to create a life and thought as large and excellent as itself, but in vain, for that which is made instructs how to make it better. Thus there is no sleep, no pause, no preservation, but all things renew, germinate, and spring. Why should we import rags and relics into the new hour? Nature abhors the old, and old age seems the only disease. All things run into this one. We call it by many names, fever, intemperance, insanity, stupidity, and crime. They are all forms of old age. They are rest, conservatism, appropriation, inertia. Not newness, not the way onward. We grizzle every day. I see no need of it. Whilst we converse with what is above us, we do not grow old, but grow young. Infancy, youth, receptive, aspiring, with religious eyes looking upward, counts itself nothing and abandons itself to the instruction flowing from all sides. But the man and woman of seventy assume to know all. They have outlived their hope. They renounce aspiration accept the actual for the necessary, and talk down to the young. Let them then become organs of the Holy Ghost, let them be lovers, let them behold truth, and their eyes are uplifted, their wrinkles smoothed, they are perfumed again with hope and power. This old age ought not to creep on a human mind. In nature every moment is new, the past is always swallowed and forgotten, THE COMING ONLY IS SACRED, BUT NOTHING IS SECURE BUT LIFE, TRANSITION, THE ENERGIZING SPIRIT. NO LOVE CAN BE BOUND BY OATH OR COVENANT TO SECURE IT AGAINST A HIGHER LOVE. NO TRUTH SO SUBLIME, BUT IT MAY BE TRIVIAL TOMORROW IN THE LIGHT OF NEW THOUGHTS. PEOPLE WISH TO BE SETTLED. ONLY AS FAR AS THEY ARE UNSETTLED IS THERE ANY HOPE FOR THEM life is a series of surprises we do not guess to-day the mood the pleasure the power of to-morrow when we are building up our being of lower states of acts of routine and sense we can tell somewhat but the masterpieces of god the total growths and universal movements of the soul he hideth they are incalculable i can know that truth is divine and helpful But how it shall help me I can have no guess, for so to be is the sole inlet of so to know. The new position of the advancing man has all the powers of the old, yet has them all new, it carries in its bosom all the energies of the past, yet is itself an exhalation of the morning. I cast away in this new moment all my once hoarded knowledge, as vacant and vain. Now, for the first time, seem I to know anything rightly. The simplest words, we do not know what they mean except when we love and aspire. The difference between talents and character is adroitness to keep the old and trodden round, and power and courage to make a new road to new and better goals. Character makes an overpowering presence, a cheerful, determined hour which fortifies all the company by making them see that much is possible and excellent that was not thought of. Character dulls the impression of particular events. When we see the conqueror we do not think much of any one battle or success. We see that we had exaggerated the difficulty. It was easy to him. The great man is not convulsible or tormentable. Events pass over him without much impression. People say sometimes, see what I have overcome, see how cheerful I am, see how completely I have triumphed over these black events. Not if they still remind me of the black events. True conquest is the causing the calamity to fade and disappear as an early cloud of insignificant result in a history so large and advancing. The one thing which we seek with insatiable desire is to forget ourselves, to be surprised out of our propriety, to lose our sempiternal memory and to do something without knowing how or why. In short, to draw a new circle. Nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. The way of life is wonderful, it is by abandonment. The great moments of history are the facilities of performance through the strength of ideas, as the works of genius and religion. A man, said Oliver Cramwell, never rises so high as when he knows not whither he is going. Dreams and drunkenness, the use of opium and alcohol, are the semblance and counterfeit of this oracular genius, and hence their dangerous attraction for men. For the like reason they ask the aid of wild passions, as in gaming and war, To ape in some manner these flames and generosities of the heart. End of circles.